Welcome to the Rehope Podcast. Before we dive into this week's message, we'd like to provide you with some helpful resources. If you'd like someone to pray for you, it would be our joy to connect with you. So please email us at prayer at rehope.co.uk. If you'd like to get connected with an online Bible read-through group from wherever you are in the world, you can email brt at rehope.co.uk and be a part of a small group of people reading through the Bible cover to cover each year. Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. I want God to help you. I want God to bring his breakthrough in your life however you need it. And so let me just start by blessing you before we go any further. I bless you now in the name of Jesus that you would know Jesus more wonderfully tonight. I bless you to receive healing if you need healing in your body, in your mind, in your emotions, in your spirit. I bless you to receive whatever guidance from God you need tonight, whatever help from God you need. I bless you to flourish and prevail over whatever challenges you're facing in your life right now. And I bless you to feel hope and joy and love and peace, whatever's going on. That you would feel those things very powerfully because Jesus is real and he's with you. May it be. All right. Welcome back to our series on Moses. Today we're going to talk about courage and how courage is required for following God well. I mean, when you look at some of the people who know what following God is like, the high points and the low points in life, you're thinking Moses, you're thinking David. When they're getting ready to push the next generation of leaders, Joshua and and Solomon in their cases, um, forward and to point the way of what is it going to take, they say to both of them, they say, be strong and courageous. When it comes to leading, when it comes to following God, well, be strong and courageous. So we're going to talk about how courage is essential to following God well today as we look at the story of the spies spying out the land in Numbers 13 and 14. But before we do, let's remind ourselves of what's going on, and specifically for them, within the last 36 months, okay? Within the last three years, all this has happened. Three years ago, from this moment that we're looking at today, they were in slavery, They were in evil, awful, hopeless slavery. This is before Moses has returned. We know it's bad because of the bones in the ground. We can look at the archaeology. We can see that their lifespan was minuscule, that it was greatly reduced with highly oppressive slavery. The the nutrition was bad. The, The, you know, just... The treatment was bad. The bones in the ground show a very dramatic change in the Semitic culture, like the, the, the Israel population in Egypt from before slavery started till after slavery took place. It's, it's just, it's, it's awful. God sees that it's awful. He calls out to Moses in Midian and he says, I have seen my people's oppression and now go back and and." Ultimately, Moses is going to confront Pharaoh, and he's going to start bringing the people out of the land of slavery, this brutal, brutal slavery, in order to fulfill the promises that God had made to Abraham a long time ago. So they they come out of Egypt, there's plagues and and crushing plagues, and Egypt is devastated God proves that he's with them. God proves that he's there to help them. He leads them out. They come to the shore of the Red Sea. 
and then miracles of miracles according to the Bible. God sent a mighty east wind and overnight and the sea was dried and there was a pathway according to Psalm 77 which no one knew was there. They, God's people walked across the sea on dry ground where then when Egypt tried to do that the water returned and they, they all drowned. Again, God is so undeniably clearly with them. All in the last 36 months, this is taking place. Just powerfully, powerfully with them. And then they come to the mountain of God. And they see God. Well, they see the fire, and they see the lightning, and they see the smoke, and they hear God's voice. They, they hear, they, they, see, they see this incredible, powerful display of God. Not only that, there is a pillar even to this day, that is there in their camp of smoke or fire, uh, smoke in the daytime, fire at night. They, they see God's presence with them as they go. They know God, God is with them. And, and before we get going, before we look at this story, I just want to call this out. You can know that God is real. You, you can be absolutely convinced that God is with you. But if you don't act on that with courage, what good is that? If, if you don't base your life on that, if you don't act um, based on the truth that God is real and that God is with you and that God will help you, if, if you don't act forward with courage, how is that going to help you? If, especially if you don't shut down fear and doubt. Let's get to our study today. We're, we're in maps. How about maps, right? So we are uh, in the wilderness of Paran uh, at a place called Kadesh or Kadesh Barnea. Um, it's where the circle is there on the map. You're like, Brian, there are three circles there on the map. That's right. Because they don't really know exactly where it is. In the last hundred years, they place it at the red circle. Um, why do they place it at the red circle? Um, water. There's enough water. It's the largest oasis in the wilderness. If you're following the, the story of where God's people are in the wilderness, there's not actually very many options. They've got to have water, right? So this place has enough water for the quantity of people. It's the largest one. There's some other issues with it, though. Let's give it a 30% rating. Uh, there's, there's no pottery from this era or anything like that. It seems a little unlikely because it was a major cross. Anyways, I don't need to get into it right now. But that, that's where modern people tend to put it. Um, historically, it was where the blue circle is previous to 100 years ago. There's not enough water. But it has the toponym. It has the same place name. If you kind of pronounce Q-U-D-A-I-S, it kind of sounds like Quesadilla, no, Kadish or something like that. And, you know, so that's where it historically has been placed. A lot of times people place it where the green circle is. There's good reason to place it where the green circle is as well. Truth be told, there actually might be several locations in this journey of theirs, in this wandering of theirs, which are called Kadesh. It may not have been just one location. We'll look more at that later. Um, why not? That sounds super fun, Brian. Yeah, so maybe we'll talk about that some other day. But we're somewhere south. Let's pretend it's at the red circle or blue circle. Okay, it doesn't even matter. And we are on the threshold of potentially as the nation experiencing, receiving the promise of God to Abraham... And, they're, and they are now ready to start looking into the land. And what happens? Let's look at chapter 13 of Numbers. 
It says this, it says, Yahweh, or the Lord, uh, spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the land of Canaan I am giving to the Israelites. Send one man who is a leader among them from each of their ancestral tribes. Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran at the Lord's command. All the men were leaders in Israel. Okay, just whose idea is this? This was God's idea. Right? This, was, this was Yahweh's idea. This was a good thing to spy out the land. This, is not a, this was not a fear idea. This was God's idea. Okay, okay. So, then the, um, Moses throws the spies under the bus. He names them all out. He calls them out. We're going to skip the names, but you can go back and look at those later. <laughs> if you love names, you'll love that. All right. Verse 17, when Moses sent them to scout out the land of Canaan, he told them, go up this way to the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Is the land they live in good or bad? Are the cities they live in in encampments or fortifications is the land fertile or unproductive are there trees in it or not be courageous bring back some of the fruit from the land it was the season for the first ripe grapes okay so we saw a few key words here in this in this passage verse 17 go Verse 18, see. Verse 20, be courageous. Go, see, be courageous. It's God's idea, remember? And so God wants them to see the truth of what they are facing. See, go see. Is the land exactly like I promised you? Moses commissioned them. Very specifically, is it like is it fertile? Is it, is it amazing? Is it fortified? What is it like? Whatever it's like. But also as you go and also as you see what's coming up, don't let it scare you. As you see the truth, the good and the bad, the, the, the positive and, and, the, and the challenging, whatever you see, whatever you're looking at, don't let it scare you. Be courageous. Now, family, this is the command of, of God to, to every generation, the, the challenge of, of God for all of us. Whatever, whatever ahead looks like for you, from your perspective, as you kind of imagine and think forward in your life, the mysteries, the question marks, the challenges, whatever you see, whatever it looks like for you, the challenge is don't give way to fear. Be courageous don't let fear drive your decisions as you look forward don't let fear decide if you're going to keep following this path of god for your life or not be courageous so verse 21 so they went up and, and scouted out the land from the wilderness of zin as far as rehob near the entrance to hamath they went up through the Negev and came to Hebron, where Ahiman, Shishai, and Talmi, the descendants of Anak, were living. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. You know, just that, that helps, thanks. When they came to the valley of Eshkol, they cut down a branch with a single cluster of grapes, which was carried on a pole by two men. They also took some pomegranates and figs. 
That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from scouting out the land. Okay, just where, thank you for those names. How about a map? How about two maps? Okay, so uh, on the maps here, the, they go way north, right? The, 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 the greenish, the one with the green on it, they're going way, way, way north, way into Lebanon, way further. Usually the town of Dan, the city of Dan, is considered the far north. It's called Laish or Dan on that map. They go way past that in their, in their scouting trip. When they go through the land, if you were here two years ago, which is like 12 of you, um, they, they, you know what road they were on because there was only one road in the Bible and in Biblical Faith series that we looked at. There's only one north-south road in the middle of the land, only one. It's called the Patriarchal Highway. Yes, it's called the Patriarchal Highway. It is the only north-south road. So they, they scouted out through there. They went all the way through the land. Um, on the next slide, just where they get the grapes from, they get the grapes from area near Hebron. They called it the Valley of Eshkol. Um, this is the this is the vineyard. It's in that in that area in north of Hebron right now. Fun facts for you: Abraham, Abraham lived here for a while. He he set up camp at a, a tree, an oak of Mamre. It's in the same valley. It's Valley of Eshkol. Same same location. Um, also, when, when Caleb, the spy, when he, oh, I'm giving this away, but that's okay. When he picks the land that he wants for himself, he picks this land. He picks Hebron as his favorite of all the, the bits of the land. But anyways, that's kind of, that's where they're at. That's where they get the cluster of, of grapes carried by two men. I keep thinking of like jokes. They were so weak. They could, but I won't, I won't do that because this is not a, a message for jokes. This is serious stuff here. Um, okay, picking up in verse 26. Then the men went back to Moses after returning to scouting out the land. The, the, the men went back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back a report for them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, We went into the land where you sent us, indeed. It is flowing with milk and honey, and here is some of its fruit. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites are living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Sebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live by the sea along the Jordan. Okay, so they give their report, right? These are the facts. This is the facts of the journey. The land is flowing with milk and honey. That does not mean cows and bees. Nobody wants cows and bees uh, in their land. They, milk, sheep and goats, uh, honey, figs, fig honey, fig honey. Th there are bees in the land, of course. We see that even in the Samson story, but, but it's figs, figs honey. Land of sheep, goats, figs, good, th good things. But according to the facts here, and this is fine with us. This is a good report. Uh, the people are really strong, and the cities are really fortified. This is a, an extreme challenge. In fact, naturally speaking, the challenge far exceeds their abilities in this moment, as they look at it. Just naturally speaking, this is beyond them. Again, though, whatever, whatever ahead looks like, 
The challenge for them from the beginning of this whole story is whatever you see, be courageous. Be courageous. Choose courage. Don't let fear and doubt wreck your path. Continue to be courageous. So then here's their responses. Caleb first. Verse 30. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. We can certainly conquer it. Okay, is he crazy? Is he crazy? Is he, is he exuding some sort of stupid courage that's ignoring the facts that are in front of him, the fortified cities, the, 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 the stronger people, basically everyone else in this story, minus maybe four of them, but like a couple million people, they're all convinced that this is going to be an awful idea, that this is impossible, that they are tactically, you know, just messed up with the fortified cities and everything. Maybe they're looking at Caleb and saying, no, that's cute, uh, optimistic, naive, you know, sort of thing going on here. But to the rest of them, they're like, it's not worth the risk. You know, is, is Caleb being stupid? Is he ignoring the facts in front of him? The people are big. The cities are strong. No. Caleb isn't ignoring the facts. In fact, I would, I would point you to the fact that Caleb is seeing all the facts. Caleb is seeing all the facts. He isn't transfixing on just the scary facts. He is seeing all the facts in the story. What is he seeing? That he's not standing in Egypt. What is he seeing? There is a pillar of fire right here that we can all see in the camp. At nighttime, it's fire. In the daytime, it's a cloud. He, see, like, he is seeing all of the facts. Not just transfixing on the, the fear facts. The facts are that God has proven that he is with them. He has proven that he is in this process of getting them from where they were to where they will be. That he is there to help them. That he is miraculously helping them. He is seeing all the facts where most people seem to be consumed with the scary facts only. The, the scary facts, that, that, that God has brought them out, out of Egypt, sure, but they're now being derailed because they're staring only at the fear facts. Caleb's like, certainly God will help us. He's not just being optimistic. He's looking at what's truly true, that God is with them, that God will help them. He will certainly do this. But the other people, verse 31 Verse 31, 28, 29, 30, 31. There we go. But the men who had gone up with him responded, we can't. We can't attack the people because they are stronger than we are. Now, I remember when I was writing this and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm just like, okay. I, we know that's the wrong answer. But... I was just thinking through the words, don't judge lest ye be judged, Brian. Like, just honestly, how many times do we all look forward? We look at the probabilities of our future. We look at the challenges that we're facing and we just think, I, I can't. 
and, and we let just the, prob- the likelihood maybe derail us. We're, okay, I think Jesus is calling me this direction. I think Jesus is calling me in this, this way. But I just can't think that, that there's a reasonable reason to think that I could do that. And so I just, I just give up. I can't, I, so I can't, I can't throw stones at these people. I don't think any of us could. But, but the thing is, is that we have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable idea that God is going to lead us down paths that are going to require his help to get all the way through. Maybe you could say God's going to lead us down paths that are going to require miracles to get through. That, that are going to require his intervention to get through. You, you can't make your decision-making criteria based on this idea that God probably won't help you. That's not following God with faith at all. The call is courage. The command is courage. The, the, that requires like, trusting God and believing that God is actually with us. Some of us just need to stop living as if God's not going to help us. Is that, is that kind of your basic mindset? I'm going to live my life kind of assuming God won't help me. If he does, bonus. That, that trusting God is trusting God. It's actually trusting God. It's, and it's living a life that it push, pushes beyond this idea of being able to be self-reliant. If God doesn't help, assuming God won't help. But God is going to call you and he's going to lead you and he's going to nudge you to to make choices, to go down certain paths that are going to push you beyond what you can do on your own, that are going to test you and to test your, your faith levels so that you can emerge with a testimony afterwards. That you trusted God, it seemed unlikely, and yet God actually proved to you and through you that he can be trusted. Well, these spies here, they give a negative report. In fact, that's what it says in verse 32. So they gave a negative report to the Israelites about the land they had scouted. The land we passed through to explore is one that devours its inhabitants, and all the people we saw in it are men of great size. We even saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. To ourselves, we seemed like grasshoppers, And we must have seemed the same to them. Then the whole community broke into loud cries. And the people wept that night. Okay. Fear. You know this. Fear can be so consuming. It can be contagious. It can be contagious. And just when fear takes over, it's like... Everything just gets shut out. You, you can hardly even think. You just get so consumed by, by it. And, and you know, the whole community, you got millions, some people, millions of people here. The fear has taken over, loud cries, loud wailing and, and weeping. What else, what else happens here? They start complaining, verse 2. All the Israelites complained about Moses. Oh, they're not just complaining. They're complaining about Moses and Aaron. And the whole community told them. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Moses is probably thinking the same thing. No. If only we had died in the land of Egypt. Or if only we had died in the wilderness. This wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to die by the sword? Our wives and children will become plunder. 
wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's appoint a leader and go back to Egypt. <laughs> okay. Again, fear is just wildly out of control here. Right? It's, just, it's just out of, really, go back to Egypt. Go, go back to Egypt. This is just awful. But the thing is, fear can blind us to the realities of what's really real and what we know to be true and what we've experienced to be true throughout the, entor- the entirety of our lives. We, we, just become, we, we just become forgetful, transfixed. We forget that God is real, that God is here, that he will help you. For, these, for them, these last 36 months have just gone out the window. And they have seen some extraordinary things in the last 36 months, but it's all, it's all forgotten because of fear. Bless you. And God does things in your stories. God will do things. He has done things to remind you that he can be trusted. Anchor points that you can be trusted. You've probably, hopefully, trusted God at some point in the past and you've seen him step through for you. Or he has proven to you at some point or another that he is real, that he is here. Fear wants you to forget all that. Courage says trust all that. The same God who was there is going to be with you as you move forward. God doesn't just point the way forward for us. He, he makes the way forward possible. But again, no faith, no faith test passed. You have no testimony to pass on. And, and that's really what God's trying to do with our lives. Give us testimonies to pass on, but we have to pass the faith test first. I noticed in my Bible reading for two weeks from now, I know, overachiever, really big fan of the Bible. Uh, it's break week this week. We got 1 Corinthians in a couple weeks. I'm a little bit embarrassed saying this, but not at all. I'm reading. Yes. So uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Okay, at least one chapter, okay, towards two weeks from now. I noticed that Paul writes about his experience to the Corinthians, and he says that he came to them, that he came to them in weakness, fear, and much trembling. It's not that Paul didn't feel, feel afraid or fearful. But the thing is, even though he was there in weakness, fear, and much trembling, he showed up. He went there to Corinth, even though he was afraid. And he didn't give up on preaching about Jesus in that city or in Greece because he was afraid and trembling and feeling weak. He went anyways. And, and I just, yeah, that just jumped out at me, especially as I think about this message. But, but back to numbers here. We can't let fear make our decisions for us, guys. We can't let it take over. Um, verse 5, then, then Moses and Aaron, they, they fell face down in front of the whole assembly of the Israelite community. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us only Don't rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. 
while the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. Again, the fear is just taken over. They can't even hear the message anymore. They can't even hear, don't be afraid. They can't even hear that they are consumed. Hey, guys, don't let fear do this to you. Don't let it just consume you. Don't let it drive your life. Don't let it dictate your path. So God, God, God's glory appears. Verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, how long will these people despise me? How long will they not trust in me despite all the signs I have performed among them? 36 months. I will strike them with a plague and destroy them. Then I will make you into a greater and mightier nation than they are. Now, I'm not going to have time to talk about this. But if you like the idea of praying and talking to God in such a way that he is persuaded, you're going to want to look at these next verses and how Moses champions these people before God and, and persuades, them, persuades God to not strike them down with a plague right now as a whole nation. He, very persuasive here. But, but ultimately, God does persuade, or sorry, Moses does persuade God to forgive them. I guess that's, that's what we would say, um, but it's a bit troubling. In fact, I find this, this whole next verse here, a couple of verses here, really disturbing, humbling. Um, it, said, it said after Moses makes his appeal in verse 20, the Lord responded, I have pardoned them. Like I have forgiven them. I'm, I'm not going to treat them as they deserve to be treated. I have pardoned them as you requested. Yet. A terrifying three-letter word. I have, forgi- I have pardoned them as you have requested, yet, as surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, I just find this a very noteworthy thing about grace and forgiveness. Now, we like to talk about grace here. I love grace. I love God's forgiveness. I'm sure you do too, right? God's forgiven us, his mercy, his grace, and, and like, like there, we can't say enough about the joy of being forgiven. If you haven't been forgiven by Jesus, I mean, you're, we can sort that in a little bit, but, but, but the joy of God's grace and forgiveness, and yet the Bible is also clear that the forgiveness of God does not mean necessarily that all the consequences are gone. You you see this in Moses, you see this in David, you see this in the New Testament with different peoples, that that people can be forgiven and yet experience the consequences of not following God, of of disobedience. And so God's like, I have forgiven them, but they are not going to receive in their lifetime the fulfillment of the promises that I'd made to Abraham. There's going to be massive consequences here. They're, they're going to be forgiven, and yet they're not going to receive the victory that I, that I have for them. 
God forgives. God pardons. But because in their moment of decision, they gave way to fear, they're not going to get what they would have gotten, at least in their lifetime there. Such a terrifying thought. The thought that you, me, we might miss out on some of the amazing future that God might have for us if we, in our moment of decision, give way to fear and don't follow him with courage to get there. Now, I'm going to make the most self-obvious statement. I shouldn't even have to make this, and I'm sorry for being so insulting in how simple this statement is, but you're never going to get to where God is leading you if you don't follow God to where he's leading you, right? You're never going to get where God's leading you if you don't follow God to where he's leading you. You're just just not going to get there. I mean, maybe you assume like, okay, I'm not going to trust God. I'm not going to follow God, but he's just going to beam me there anyways because, you know, I mean, maybe. I'm not saying never, no, never, but mostly, mostly, the, story, the examples in the Bible are, if you follow God, you get where he's go- taking you. If you don't, you don't. It, usually God's path requires courage, requires, requires trusting him. Okay, but I want to make also a, a clarifying warning statement here, and it's straight from this story. What's going to happen, and we're not going to read it, is, is that God's people are going to hear that they're missing out and that they're not going to get the land, that God's not going to help them. And so what they decide to do is they decide to go anyways. And so then they're like, okay, great. We're gonna, they're going to take their sword, and they're going to take their shield, and they're going to go charge the land, and they're going to lose. They're going to lose. It's going to be a slaughter, okay? And I, I just want to remind you that this is, that's part of the story here. And I'm not saying go and live courageous. It's not just courage. I'm saying follow God with courage. And that's a really important distinction. I'm not just saying just go be bold. Be courageous. I'm saying follow God courageously. Because they, they do put on courage. And they do go attack. And, it's, and it goes awful. Because at that point they're not following God. It calls to follow God with courage. This isn't just an Old Testament thing. This is a New Testament thing. This isn't just, an, this isn't just a, a, a luxury idea. It seems to be a significant idea. One of the, one of the more terrifying New Testament. You want a terrifying verse? I got one for you. I got, I got them all. <laughs> Revelation. Revelation. So we're, we're in the future. We're, we're um, Satan at this point, this is the very end of the Bible, right? The, the, Satan's been thrown in the lake of fire, new heaven, new earth. And we're, gonna, he, we're hearing who gets to be a part of the new heaven and the new earth. And, and we see here in Revelation 21, who gets to be a part of it? The one who conquers will inherit these things. And I will be his God. And he will be my son, but here's who don't get it. The cowards. Let's lead with the people without courage. The, the people who don't follow, the, the cowards, the ones who don't live with courage, the ones who give into their fear. They're the ones that aren't getting into this. And then look at the list there. And the cowards, faithless, detestable, the detestable ones, the murderers. Cowards and murderers, they're in the same group. The sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their share will be in the, you know, the cowards. 
Like all through the Bible, friends, we see cover to cover. Be courageous. Be courageous. You, this is what it takes to follow God well. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Be strong and very courageous. Don't give in to fear. Don't let fear drive your life. Don't let yourself be consumed by it. Say no to fear. Say yes to trusting Jesus. That's the continued message in the Bible. Courage is required for following God well. And so I encourage people when I'm teaching them how to pray, don't just ask God, God, what do you want me to do with my life? Ask him that, but then add, and please fill me with the courage to do that. Tell me what you want me to know. Let me see what you want me to see, but then Bless me with the courage that I need to walk forward. At, at this church, we've got um, three core values. And one of them is to live with gutsy faith. That, that's what we're, we're doing here. Like, and that, that's just part of our story. The elders were pushing each other with, to, to live with gutsy faith. The staff were pushing each other to live with gutsy faith. We, we are, we are trying. I mean, every location that we've started it has been a story of gutsy faith. Uh, I get the joy of, of teaching in Seattle a week, and I get to go through each story of each of the locations and all the varieties of uh, faith tests required for each of the locations. I mean, Paisley now, I mean, it's just like what it is it, 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 like gutsy faith required i'm not just saying hey be be courageous friends i'm saying join us in this church we are trying for better or for worse sometimes we miss it but we are trying to be a people who together are going to live with courage run with us run with us i know that it can be really fearful and and scary paul does too Everybody does. But we're trying to live with gutsy faith and, and, and saying no to, no to fear so we can follow God well together. So the challenge for us is this. I want you to make a list of things God seems to be calling you to that is making you afraid or hesitant. Write a declaration of courage connected to those things. So an example, again, you can use your own words. I just made this up. Example might be, a declaration of courage might be, although I feel strongly pulled towards fear about this big life decision, because I believe God is calling me to this, to do this, I will choose courage and not let fear control my life another day. Something like that. Something like that. Friends, if you're struggling with some decisions... Uh, we have prayer ministry every Sunday. We, we want to pray courage for you. We want to encourage you as you make big... We know, we, all, we know what it's like to walk through this life trying to trust God. We're in this together. We would love to pray for you always about that kind of stuff. But right now, let me just generally pray for us all in this area of, of courage and in renouncing fear. In fact, let's just start with a moment of quietness here. And maybe you just have a, a, a talk with God here in the quietness about your fear to courage ratio at the moment. And maybe just say, God, in this moment, I choose to reject acting on this fear. And instead... I am choosing courage. 
Maybe you also reprimand the fear in your heart, in your life. Maybe you're just like, you know, fear, leave me alone in the name of Jesus. You are not to harass me anymore. I will not be consumed by fear anymore in Jesus' name. Instead, may the, may the encouragement of God, may the courage of God fall on my heart and my mind. Maybe you pray, God, heal my mind of its anxieties. Heal my heart, my emotions of these fears and anxieties. And fill me with courage. Maybe some of you are like, I, I, I haven't started following God. And this is, this is your moment. I encourage you to do just that right now, to trust Jesus with your life. I encourage you in this time just to pray something like this. God, here I am. Forgive me. Help me. I now dedicate the entirety of my life to following Jesus, whether it's challenging or whether it's easy, whether I'm healthy, whether I'm sickly, whether I'm rich or poor, whatever's going on in my life, I dedicate my life to following Jesus Come what may. The Holy Spirit, fill me. The grace of Jesus, forgive me. May the Holy Spirit lead me forward. Father, I just pray courage over all of us, over this whole church. I just speak a blessing of gutsy faith as we strive to follow you with all of our heart and soul and strength, that we would be men and women of extraordinary courage in a fearful and an anxiety-prone generation. May anxiety be far from us now in the name of Jesus. May fear, may fear's grip over any of our hearts be broken and shattered now in the name of Jesus. May the strength of God come upon us now and forever in Jesus' name. Amen.